celebrate over me, my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise again. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Hey, I got a million things to tell you today. Uh, but before I start, what is this stuff? It's like having children. Can I be sappy for a minute? Um, you guys are awesome. Uh, sorry, it's my birthday. I'm like all old and emotional. It's been a rough couple of weeks, and, and I love my tribe. So you guys are awesome. Um, so let's do this. Fight series week six. What we've been talking about is uh, fighting to... Uh, fulfill the purpose, the mission that God has given you, fighting to like be the man or woman God created you to be. That's what we've been hitting on here. And I want to start today by telling you about this guy. Okay. And uh, the lesson we can learn from this guy is in those spiritual fights that you're having in your life, if you want to win, you have to grow a mustache like this. <laughs> I'm sorry. That thing is amazing, is it not? Majestic. Uh, all the men are jealous. All the women are slightly distracted. Don't worry. We'll get it off the screen in a minute. Um, but believe it or not, the mustache is not the most uh, impressive thing about this guy. This guy's name is Colonel Joshua Chamberlain. And uh, he commanded a unit of men called the 20th Maine uh, for the Union Army in the Civil War. And the reason he's uh, famous, the reason we even really know who he is, is because of what he did at the Battle of Gettysburg. And uh, if you don't know much about Civil War, if you're not like a Civil War buff, Battle of Gettysburg was the decisive battle of uh, the Civil War. Had the South won at Gettysburg, they would have marched on Washington and our country would look a lot different, <laughs> a lot different. So Gettysburg was really, really important. And uh, his role was absolutely vital. So here's the way this battle played out, okay? We're gonna play soldiers here. Um, this is the Union Army, the blue, kind of a little fish hook action here. And then uh, the red is uh, the South. So the reason the Union set up this way is because all along here is the high ground, okay? And high ground in any battle was important, specifically back then, the way they fought, high ground was vital. Like high ground was a huge advantage. So this is where they're set up. And uh, the South's coming. So uh, Joshua Chamberlain and the 20th Maine and his mustache. Uh, we're positioned down here on a hill called Little Round Top. Super important hill, okay? Uh, because if they lose at Little Round Top, what happens is the, the uh, Confederate army can sweep up and they can flank the entire Union army without having to take the high ground at every area. They just take it here and then they can come around. So Little Round Top is huge, vital. Um, and so you can kind of tell like the dominoes will fall. If you lose Gettysburg, you lose the war. And if you lose a little round top, you lose Gettysburg. See how important it is? Like this hill, this hill is like the hill. They have to win this hill. Now, uh, there's a movie called Gettysburg. It came out like 100 years ago and it's like 17 hours long. If you like Civil War stuff, watch it. If not, you'll fall asleep. It's a great thing to nap to. Um, but in the movie, Chamberlain, uh, makes this little speech when they get to Little Round Top and they're like uh, setting up to get ready for this battle. He makes this little speech and this is what he says, and I love this. Gentlemen, the 83rd Pennsylvania, the 44th New York, and the 16th of Michigan will be moving into our right. But if you look to your left, you'll see that there is no one there. It's because we are the end of the line. The Union Army stops here. We are the flank. Do you understand, gentlemen? We cannot retreat we cannot withdraw, 
We're going to have to be stubborn today. I love that. I love that. So they get ready. Uh, you know, they're kind of fired up from this. They get ready, and the, and the Confederate army starts kind of coming at them in waves. You know, they attack, retreat, attack, retreat, kind of feeling for, for weakness. And uh, the 20th Maine uh, takes heavy losses. Um, many died, many wounded. Everybody's exhausted. But the most important thing that happens is they start to run out of ammunition. I start to run out of ammunition. So the situation kind of becomes desperate because there's no reinforcements coming. Everybody's engaged in battle. They can't bring reinforcements anywhere else. Uh, there's no ammunition to be found. They, they, uh, they all kind of get this panicked feeling and everybody looks to Chamberlain with that like, what do we do? Look on their face. Um, and Chamberlain gives an order that is incredibly surprising. He orders his men to fix bayonets. He orders his men... <laughs> to put that little knife at the end of their gun rather um, than even think about surrendering or retreating. Because what happens on that hill is that urge to quit, that urge to surrender, that urge to run kind of starts to loom on, on top of little round top. And, and you can kind of feel that everybody's like, I don't think we can do this. And they're looking to Chamberlain to say, can we we give up and instead of giving the order to surrender the order to retreat he says fix bayonets and uh, he orders a bayonet charge down the hill <laughs> and just so you know, like to give you context, that's the equivalent of like trying to throw a Hail Mary pass with one second left from your own 20 yard line, but if you don't get it, you die. You know, that, like, that's the, the chances of this working are almost none. Uh, you have no ammunition, there's an army coming for you and you're gonna charge them down the hill. But here's the crazy part, it worked. <laughs> it worked. Uh, it was so surprising to the Confederate army, they were taken off guard that many of them just surrendered. They just, they just lay down there going like, we did not see that coming. Like, okay, you got, got me. Like, good job. And uh, they held Little Round Top. We won the Battle of Gettysburg and the rest is history. So it was that, that decisive moment, you know, um, where Chamberlain decide, had to like to make that decision. Do we retreat or do we hold our ground? Do we surrender or do we charge? That moment like that moment rippled into history. That moment changed everything when he made the decision. So what I want to talk to you about today is like, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you keep fighting when you have like nothing left? How do you keep fighting when everything in you is telling you to give up? How do you keep going and everything in you says quit? How do you fix bayonets and charge when it makes much more sense to turn tail and run? How do you do that? Like, how do you fight that urge to quit? You know, that, that urge, that urge to give up, that urge to run, the urge to stop pressing, to surrender, to throw in the towel, that urge to not get back up after you get knocked down one more time than you ever thought you would get knocked down. How do you fight that? How do you fight those three fatal words? I give up. That's what I want to talk to you about. Let's pray, and then let's answer the question. Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. Thank you for... Uh, Everybody sitting in here, Lord, I don't think anybody uh, is here by accident. 
thank you for that. I pray that we, we're open, Lord. Uh, I know there's, there's somebody here today who's feeling like they're at the end of the rope, that they're about ready to, to throw in the towel, to give up, Lord. And I pray uh, that this would speak right to their heart today, Lord, and that you would, uh, your spirit would fill them up and, and give them uh, energy for that next leg. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so if you remember week one, and I totally know you do, you memorize everything I say. So week one in the series, uh, we talked about the Israelites not going into the promised land because they didn't expect to fight. They thought that what, you know, if God wants us to have it, we're not going to have to fight for it. So they didn't go in and they end up circling the desert for 40 years instead of experiencing the promised land. Crazy, uh, stupid decision on their part. But 40 years later, they come back. Right, And they and again have this choice, do we go in or do we not? And they choose to actually go in the second time, 40 years later, a totally different generation chooses, we're going to go fight. We're going to go in and we're going to uh, fight for the thing God has promised us. And the first city that they come to inside of the promised land is a city called Jericho. Um, big city, big walls, strong gates, uh, an intimidating like first round. You know, it'd be nice to take out some villages and stuff, but no, we got to take out the, like, the biggest, strongest, most fortified city that there is. That's the first one we're going to go after. Uh, and in Joshua 6, God tells Joshua God's battle plan. Okay, that's important. It's God's battle plan. Here's what God says in verse 3. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. Okay, um, I just, just, can we just acknowledge, I know we're reading the Bible and we tend to like read that and go, okay, yeah, it's totally. But like, can we just acknowledge that's a weird battle plan? That's just weird, right? Can you imagine like they're sitting down with like a map of Jericho and anybody but God gave this as the plan? Can you imagine that? Like, hey, you know what we should do? Like, just walk around. I don't know, for like six days and the seventh day, we'll just like yell at them and we'll see what happens. Like if anybody said that, you know, you wouldn't be you'd like, dude, get out of here. What are you doing here? Like you shouldn't, you shouldn't be giving advice. But this is God's plan. This is what God tells Joshua to do. And uh, even though it seems kind of crazy, God said to do it. Um, so if God says to do something, even if it doesn't make sense, you do it, right? I think that's the first lesson here. So here's what happens next. If you drop down to verse eight, um, after Joshua spoke to the people, so he has some stuff to do, uh, the seven priests with the ram's horns started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns, and some behind the ark, with the priests continually blowing the horns. Uh, do not shout, do not even talk. Uh, I say that same thing to my kids, like in the car all the time. Um, <laughs> Joshua commanded, not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout, then shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day, and then everyone returned and spent the night at camp. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priest again carried the ark of the Lord. Verse 13, the seven priests with the ram's horn marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns. Again, the armed men uh, marched both in front of the priests with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. All this time, the priests were blowing their horns. On the second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to the camp. They follow this pattern for six days. Uh, okay, I wanna stop here because when you're reading your Bible and you're reading through the story, you never stop here, right? You keep going because the next thing that happens is the seventh day and like the walls fall down and it's awesome, right? You wanna get to that part, that part's really cool. Um, but at this point in the story, we, we have to stop because the verses I just read, uh, like seven verses I just read, they're really an important part of the story and I think we need to imagine what it would be like to be in the story at this point, like six days in, 
because it's one of those like in-between places. You know what I'm saying? It's in between like God's command and the victory that God has for Israel. It's that in-between place. God told me to do this and then God comes through. That in-between place that only lasted for them six days, it lasts for us sometimes a lot longer than that, doesn't it? It's like this is where maybe we spend most of our time. God told me to do this, the victory. We live in between here. We, we like to focus on the two outside, right? When God has these plans and God has this purpose for me and then when God comes through and the, and the amazing like victory happens, we like to focus on the bookends, but man, we spend most of our time in this messy middle, right? So I don't want to ignore this. This is the, the, the messy part of the story where they're doing this thing that God told them to do and nothing's happened yet. So what I want to find in, in like this part of the story is, is three things that might cause you to want to quit. Three things that might cause that urge to say, I give up. This is stupid. <laughs> I'm done. Three, three things in, in the story, okay? Um, and then the answer to them. So the first thing in this story um, that shows, like shows us that urge to quit, maybe bubbling up, um, is the lack of obvious progress. The lack of obvious progress. Um, imagine what it would be like to be in Israel's army at that time. You go out day one, you walk around the city, told not to say a word, like, shut up, don't do anything, just walk. And then you come back home. And the next day you do the same thing. And the next day you do the same thing. And the next day you do the same thing. And it starts to get weird, right? It, it starts to get awkward. I mean, the people in the city must be mocking them, right? They're sitting on top of the wall like, hey guys, do you, do you guys know what you're doing? Like, you're going to shoot an arrow? <laughs> Maybe take a battering ram to our gate. Like, we're ready for you. Are you going to do anything? Like, it'd be weird, right? They'd be getting mocked. And then when you go home uh, to camp after each day, like, wouldn't that be weird? People, like, coming up to you, like, did you, did you shoot any arrows today? Did you, like, build a, a ramp to get up the wall? Did you do anything? And, and to have this continual answer for these six days in a row, like, no, we just, we just, like, walked around. And then we came home. That's just weird, Right? They did what they were supposed to do, but nothing happened. Can anybody associate with this? They did what they were supposed to do and nothing happened. There was no obvious progress. Day one, a giant crack did not form in the wall, right? Day two, like bricks didn't start falling down. Nothing happened for six straight days. They did what they were supposed to do and nothing happens. At that point, as you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and you don't see any obvious progress, doesn't the temptation start to creep in to say, this is stupid. This, this isn't working. I need to try something. Like, I, I, I quit. I give up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try something else. That urge to quit starts to creep in when you don't have lack of progress. So, so here, I wanna share three things with you when you have that urge, when, when you're experiencing this in your life, if, you, if you're in a place where you're like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm not, I'm not seeing God move anywhere. I want you to remember three things, three things God wants to do in your life. Number one, God wants to do some things for you, right? And almost everybody's a fan of that, right? I'm, if I tell you, hey, God wants to do something for you, you're not gonna be like, oh no, I'm good. Like, you want that, right? We want God to move for us in our lives. This is an exciting thing uh, for God to do things for you. The second thing, um, so God wants to do some things for you. The second thing, is not quite as popular, but it's still pretty popular, um, is God wants to do some things through you, 
right? God wants to do some things through you. God wants to affect change in the world through you. God wants to do good in the world through you. Yes, that, a lot of people, I think, like that energizes them, that excites them. Yeah, man, I want God to use me to do something cool in the world. So, so both those are kind of outward, and um, maybe, maybe you're trying that. Like, man, I need God to, to do something for me. I need God to do something through me, and maybe you're not seeing progress in that. Um, and if you're not, you need to look at the last way God works in our lives. Um, and that's God wants to do some things in you. God wants to do something right here. God's working on your heart. Um, when you're doing what you're supposed to do and nothing's happening, uh, God wants to see if you'll still be obedient even if the conditions aren't favorable. God wants to see if you'll still be obedient even if it doesn't make sense, even if, even if nothing is happening. In those times where progress is not obvious, God is trying to strengthen your soul on a deeper level than it ever could be strengthened when all the stuff is happening on the outside. When you don't see God moving out here, you need to remember that God's doing something in here. See, the people of Israel were uh, learning something in this battle where there was a long period of time where there was a lack of progress that they would need later for later battles. Their faith was being strengthened in a way in this battle that they were going to need later for uh, future battles. So next time you find yourself uh, doing what you believe God wants you to do, and you look around and you don't see any progress on the outside, don't get discouraged. Maybe he's doing something in your heart. And uh, <laughs> just a warning, it doesn't feel great. <laughs> if, you, if you work out, you know, and your muscles get sore, that hurts, right? And I think the same thing kind of applies to your soul. You're going to feel this like soreness in your soul. And don't mistake it for just, for just pure pain. Um, it is, it hurts, but if there's something to it, right? Once your muscles are sore, then usually after that, they get stronger when they heal. And the same thing's going to happen here. God's going to stretch you a little bit. God's going to pull on you a little bit, but it's not to just hurt you. It's not because he's cruel. It's because you're going to actually end up being stronger because of it. So when you don't see anything out here, remember he's working in here, okay? So that's the first uh, cause of an urge to quit in the story is the lack of obvious progress. The second cause for, for the urge to quit to kind of bubble up that I see in this story is that no one told you how long you had to go. No one told you how long you had to go. It's an interesting detail in the story. You, you might not notice it, but God tells Joshua the whole plan, right? He lays it out. Six days, nothing. Seventh day, you're going to go seven times around, and then you're going to shout, and then the walls are coming down. God tells Joshua that, but Joshua doesn't tell his people, <laughs> which is a weird thing. I don't know if that's good leadership or not, um, but he doesn't tell them the whole plan. He just tells them what to do each day. So they get up every morning, and they walk around the city. And they have no idea how long they're going to have to keep doing that to win. And I don't know about you, but I think it's really hard to like, endure when you don't know how long you have to endure. You know what I'm saying? Like, if, if you tell me the end of something, I can like, portion out my energy to get there. But if you don't tell me how long I'm going to go, it's really discouraging. Uh, you know, when you type in uh, to your GPS where you want to go and Right at the bottom, it tells you like how long you have until your destination. You know that. I know you don't read it that way. You read it as time to beat. I know. Um, but like it tells you generally, like, hey, this is how long it's going to take for you to get there. Wouldn't it be nice if, 
There was like an app on your phone, like another app that would tell you that same kind of thing with the other stuff in your life. Like, hey, six more months of sacrificially loving and serving your spouse and your marriage is gonna be better. Six more months, six more, wouldn't that be nice, right? Just one more year of consistently disciplining your kids consistently, 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 and they're gonna start to get it. Just one more year, just hold out, just hold out. My wife's laughing, three more years, let's be honest, take a little longer. Two more years of working towards that career goal and like grinding it out. And man, it's coming. That promotion's coming. Just two more years. Just hold on. Just hold on. 18 more months of looking for that good Christian girl or that good Christian guy. Man, you'll find them and the wedding bells are going to ring. Just 18 more months. Just hold on. Just hold on. Or 200 more desserts skipped and you'll have that six pack. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. Be sweet if you had an app on your phone that told you how much longer you had to endure to see the results that you wanted to see. But there's no such app, right? We don't know. We don't know. We, we don't know how much further it will be down the road before we experience like a breakthrough of some kind, of like seeing some kind of result. We have no idea. So imagine something with me, and maybe this will be helpful to you. Imagine something with me. Imagine that on the sixth day, one of the soldiers in the army had said, you know what, forget this. This is stupid. I'm not doing this anymore. I quit. I'm not going to walk around this town. I'm not going to have those people up in the wall making fun of us. I'm not going to go home and tell everybody that we didn't do anything again today. I'm done. I'm out. I quit. Imagine on the sixth day that one of the soldiers had quit. And then on the seventh day, he misses out. He doesn't experience the thing. He did all the work. He, he put in all this time. He wasted all that energy. And he never got to see, like, God come through. He, he didn't get to experience God's uh, spectacular move because he quit right before the finish line. The sixth day is the worst day to quit, right? Because you put in all the work, but you don't experience, like, the payoff. Wouldn't? that be the worst? Like if you in your life right now, you're experiencing uh, a time where you don't know how long you have to endure. You're not maybe seeing a bunch of progress and you're just going and grinding out life a little bit and you decide to quit. But what if you're like that close? What if you're on lap six? What if, what if you're right there and, and you decide to quit right before something happens? It'd be the worst, right? Galatians 6, 9 says this, Let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time. We will reap a harvest of blessing if, if we don't give up. At just the right time. Who decides that? The right time? Come on, you're in church. The answer is God. Too late. Not you, right? You don't get to decide what the right time is for God to move. You don't get to decide the right time for the breakthrough to happen, for the blessing to happen, for the whatever the thing is you're waiting for to happen. You don't decide that. God's the one who decides at just the right time. This term is used a lot in the Bible, and it's like never when the people in the story think it should be, just so you know. It never is. It never is. Um, and then it says, we will reap a harvest of blessing if... We don't give up. The most important word in that sentence is the if, right? Because the blessing is contingent upon your not giving up. And, and what that means is if you do give up, there will be times when you give up that you're missing out on what God wanted to do because you gave up too soon. 
That's crazy to think about, right? Like you gotta acknowledge that that's possibly true for some of the things maybe even in your recent past that you missed out because you gave up too soon and God was gonna move and you didn't get to see it. A guy named Erwin McManus said this, I wonder how many times in my own life I thought I failed, but actually the only thing that happened was that I quit. You didn't fail. You just, you just gave up too soon. Like, keep going. At just the right time. At just the right time, something's going to happen. What if you're on lap six? What a waste it would be after all this work, after all this energy, after all this pain for you to quit when the finish line could be right there. You just don't know it yet. Don't quit. Don't quit. So, that's the second thing. No one told you how long creates the urge to quit. Last thing in the story that causes this urge to quit to bubble up is that you are trusting in your strength. You are trusting in your strength. Uh, if the Israelite, I mean, just think about this. Imagine being there, walking around. There's a big, giant wall looming over here. You're walking around this city, and uh, you start to, like, notice how big it is. You start to kind of see... Uh, like the strength of the city and you start to kind of let your mind wander like, ooh, man, I don't know if we can do this. I, I don't know if we can win this battle. If they started comparing their strength to the strength of the thing they're trying to conquer, it would have been real easy to get discouraged and tempted to quit. So, I want to tell you something Maybe I wouldn't normally tell you, but I feel like it's important. Uh, I'm trying to think if I can tell you why I wouldn't normally tell you. you. You guys know I try to be authentic, but you know as a leader, you can't like tell everything. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's kind of like, it's, a, it's not the same as parenting, but like, you don't tell your kids everything. You try to tell, you be honest with them, but you don't, you know, you don't reveal everything. Um, that, but a different level. Um, but I want to tell you something because it's important, I think. This year um, has been my hardest year of ministry. Like, out of all of them. I've been in ministry, I don't know, like almost 14 years. I've been lead pastor here six years. And uh, 2017 wins. <laughs> it's been the hardest. Uh, like, harder than I thought it could be. Like, certainly harder than I would have ever thought I could handle. Like, if this year was year one, I wouldn't be here. I think I would, cr- would have crumbled. Um, so 2017 is... And it's, it's like a bunch of stuff. Stupid financial problems, a generally heavy workload, I don't know. Watching people, like, it's probably the stuff I see in people, this is some of the hardest, like watching people make selfish decisions that really damages their marriage and their relationships. Like, I hate having to watch that. Um, watching people, like, stay in dysfunction that, like, God said they were free from and they just choose to stay in it. Like, even when they're like, there's a door. Like, I'm going to stay in my prison cell. Like, it's open, <laughs> but they stay. Like, I always say, like, I feel like I have a better plan for your life than you do. Why? <laughs> like, and I hate watching that. Um, to having people hate me. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> I'm a, like, as a leader, I know that, like, I can't make decisions going to make everybody happy. If I make a decision right now, I know that, like, 20% of you are going to hate it. You know, if it, about anything. Like, the light should be higher. No, they shouldn't. Like, we could do anything, right? Anything. And I know that there's going to be uh, a segment of people that 
just don't like it. But I think the thing that surprised me the most this year is, is the amount of venom and malice that come from like other Christians. <laughs> That's the thing that's caught me by surprise. Like, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but it has. Uh, like, I don't, just officially, like, I don't like the new Taylor Swift song because I don't think anybody can make you do anything. But that opening verse, um, I don't like your tilted stage, the role you made me play, that resonates with me. I mean, Taylor gets me, okay? Taylor gets me, all right? Left me holding the gun, huh? Okay, well, I know this is your gun, but okay. I feel, I feel her, I feel her. Um, it's frustrating because it's like, it's friendly fire, you know? Like, we're on the same team. What are you doing? <laughs> like, shoot them, not me. <laughs> and I hate that. Um, so, uh, I met with my mentor a couple months ago, and I was pretty messed up. Um, I've been meeting him with him for a decade, like a full decade. So he, like, knows me, knows me. And I sat down, and we were there for, like, about an hour. And he goes, hey, I... Just want you to know, I've never seen you shook before, and you look shook. And uh, it was true. I'd never been shook. And this year, this year got me. Um, and, it, like, I don't know if you have a mentor, but, like, there's, there's times where I meet with my mentor where uh, he, like, has, like, guru-type stuff to say to me, you know? Like, it'll just blow my mind like there is no spoon. And I'm like, it's one of those things, you know? That, like, they have that angle that you couldn't see, and, man, the moment they see, say it, you're just, your mind's blown. There's times where he does that. And then there's times where it's just good to have a guy who uh, is further down the road to be the loves me, the rooting for me. You know, like either one's good. I'm all, like, but this meeting, I was looking for a guru. I was like, man, you got to give me something, dude. And uh, he didn't. He didn't. Um, it was still a good meeting. And it was good. But um, and listen, I don't want you to hear me saying, "Oh, I was thinking about quitting." That's not true. Um, my life, the way I see it. I'm going to do this until you guys kick me off stage. Like, I plan on spitting my dentures out up here and you guys going, I don't know, man. Like, maybe you should be done. Okay? Like, for real. I don't want you to hear that. That's not what I'm saying. I, I'm not saying that I, I wanted to quit. Um, it was actually kind of deeper than that. It was like a, a fear or a doubt. Because um, when you have a lot of people who are against you, like a lot, and they're loud, or maybe it's not a lot, maybe they're just loud, I don't know. Um, you start to get this, this, this little question in your mind, like, are you against me too? Like, I need to know you're with me. Like, that was the thing. It wasn't like, I don't want to quit. I just need to know, I just need to know you're here. Like, that's all I wanted. And I've always told... <laughs> Like, I have some kind of deal with God. I've always told God, <laughs> like, if you just whisper in my ear, just, just a little bit, like, hey, just, just run, just go. I'll go. You tell me to go east, I'll go east. Through a swamp, up a mountain, off a cliff, I'll go east. But, but when it gets really hard and you have enough loud voices, I kind of want to look back over my shoulder and go, still east? <laughs> this, this is still the way, right? And that's what I kind of felt like you have to be with me. You know when the, the, the famous psalm that says, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will feel no, fear no evil? Like that's a crazy sentence to say. The only way it makes sense is the thing that comes next, which is because you're with me. 
And if God's there in the valley of the shadow of death, I don't want to be anywhere else. Does that make sense? Like top of the mountain in a prairie with flowers. No, no, no. If God's in the valley, that's where I want to be. I just need to know that's where he is because that's where I am. And uh, so I walked out to my car and I sat down after this meeting with my mentor where he did not give me these, this awesome advice that I was looking for. Um, and I prayed one of those desperate prayers. Those like, God, I need you. I'm hurt, I'm tired, I'm angry. <laughs> I feel like putting my fist through a wall. Feel like it. I just need to know you're with me. I can't do this by myself. I'm not going to quit, but I'm probably just going to like keel over like that. Like I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to keep ramming my head against this. Um, and I turned the key in my car, and this is what I heard. Because, like, for a couple of reasons. Number one, I'm telling you that God moved through a Sia song. Uh, and I've already quoted Taylor Swift, so this is weird. And number two, I hesitate to tell you that because I don't want you hearing, like, well, Pastor Adam said, next time I'm going through a hard time, I just turn on the radio and God's going to speak to me through that. Like, I don't want you to think that. I don't. Um, but, man, man, did I need that. I mean... The timing of it was too crazy, and it was, I'm not kidding, I'm not like, I don't, you guys know that, I don't tell these kind of crappy stories, I hate these stories mostly, you know, when somebody says like, oh, I opened up my Bible, and boom, that was the verse, like, I hate those stories, this, this drives me nuts, but I feel like I needed to tell you, because like, for real, when I turned the key on my car, where I'm praying, God, I need you, I need to know you're with me, that's what came on, don't give up, um, and that's all I needed, because I felt his presence in that. And uh, this is, I'm driving towards something here. Um, I saw this quote on Twitter the other day. Uh, Burnout has more to do with fuel than heat. Burnout has more to do with fuel than heat. And this is really important to me. Um, because the reason you quit in situations is not because the situation got hot. It's because you ran out of fuel. Does that make sense? See, we always blame the situation. Like, oh man, things got really hard and things were overwhelming. No, no, no. That's not what it's about. It's about how much fuel you have to get you through that. It's not about the situation. It's, it's about how much you have. And, and the, the mistake we make is we look in here and we think, do I have enough to get through this? And, and that is not what the Bible says to do. So if you're in a really tough situation and, and the fire's getting hot and your fuel's getting used up and you're starting to panic, thinking, I don't know if I have much left. Listen uh, to these verses. This is 
This is better than Sia. Isaiah 40, 29-31. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. See, the mistake you're making, the reason you're running out of fuel, the reason you're running out of energy is because you think you're supposed to have it in here. But these verses say you're going to find it outside of yourself. If you want to keep going even when you feel like quitting, if you want endurance, if you want stamina, if you want to fix bayonets and charge when it makes much more sense to turn and run, you're going to have to look You're going to have to trust in the Lord. Because when you get to the end of your rope, that just happens to be the beginning of his. And it's actually a really good place to be if you know that. If you know that, you need to find your strength in God. It is crazy to me, and I do this too, so I'm not like accusing you of it and being like, you're stupid. But like, we trust in Jesus and his strength and what he did on the cross to save us from our sins and, and like deliver us from hell and give us a relationship with God. We, we trust in him for that. But like, once we're saved, we tend to have this like mentality like, okay, God, thank you for that. I got it from here. I'm gonna keep going now in my own strength. And Jesus is like, are you serious? <laughs> like, what are you doing? I started you. I want to maintain you. I want to sustain you. And, and we have to continually be plugged into him. Because I know some of you are fighting really fierce battles like today, like you're fighting for your marriage right now. You're fighting for your kids, whatever that is. <laughs> you're fighting like that addiction. You're fighting for purpose. You're fighting for character, for integrity. You're fighting to be that man, that woman that God created you to be. You're fighting for that. And it's harder than you ever thought it would be. It is, right? And it's just me. I hope not. And you're close to the end of your rope. Maybe you're near burnout. And, and maybe your spiritual enemy, Satan, is smiling because he thinks he's got you. He thinks you're about to quit. He thinks he's about to push you over the cliff and be done with you. But if you can find your strength in God... You're going to be able to keep going past the point that you thought you could. And you're going to be able to look at Satan and go, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, I got stamina. Uh Uh-oh, another mountain to climb, that's all right. You're going to find yourself walking on shaky legs, but you're going to feel a, a strange explosiveness in them that does not make any sense. And that's this. It's, it's when you actually put your trust in God that somehow you're able to keep going even though it makes no sense at all. So don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Fight one more round. Walk one more lap. This could be six. This could be six. God could be about to do something at just the right time. Those walls are going to come crashing down.